Here's the thing. Would you think it was some kind of cowardice if I told you that no matter how confident you two are, I'm just a little scared? No, it wouldn't. But you never know. Things are changing. I have a feeling they're not changing anywhere else quite as fast as they are in my own backyard. Just tell me this. Uh, don't you think this quick decision about how we feel about this thing is just a little unfair? In a way, I do. But it wasn't my idea that everything be settled so quickly. Your daughter said that there's no problem. She said, my dad, my dad is a lifelong fighting liberal who loathes race prejudice and has spent his whole life fighting against discrimination. She said, my parents, well, they'll welcome me with open arms. And I said, oh, I sure want to meet them. Welcome. Hey, everybody. Welcome back Hello. to How Have You Not Seen This? How Have You Not Seen This? It's a podcast starring a husband and wife. That's Tracy. That's Daniel. We take turns showing each other movies that the other person hasn't seen before. Yeah, and really should have seen. Yeah. There's a lot of healthy shame built into it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of movies that I haven't seen that I definitely don't need to see. And the same goes for Daniel. Like, yeah. I'm, you know. I keep trying to get her to see Dumb and Dumber. That's not going to work. I've seen Dumb and Dumber <gasps> and I never need to see it again. Yeah, it's a good example. Good example. Terrible, terrible movie. It is, but I love it. So we missed last week. We told you that might happen. Uh, summer school gets in the way. Mm-hmm. And it's probably going to get in the way next week. Just letting you know, I've got finals and stuff coming up. So um, there probably will not be an episode next week, but then we'll be back the week after that. Yeah, to Tracy's eternal disappointment, Summer School, The Thing, is not like Summer School, The Movie with Mark Harmon. No. It's not nearly as fun. No. Some would say, not as fun at all. I don't get to do Mark Harmon. Hello. Hi, welcome to the podcast, if you're new. We've covered the basics so far. What have we done? Poop jokes and weird sex jokes. And it's like two minutes in. Hello, hi. Uh, This podcast is not intended for small children. No, it's not. But we are looking for a sponsor. So (laughs) hit us up. Um, So we've had a lot going on. We have had a lot going on in the world. Hey, America. Hey, America. How you doing? Hey, world. A lot is happening. A lot is happening. We said, hey, let's have a global pandemic and then we said, we got a little more bandwidth. We got a little more time. What else can we do? Let's have a revolution, Let's too. Let's have a race revolution. Let's do it. I'm down. Happy late Juneteenth. Mm-hmm. That was a hell of a day. And a hell of a day for Texans, because yep. we take a lot of shit for that one. That's, yeah. um, although I did learn something interesting that I did not know before. Texas, because we're like, we were like the outlier Confederate state, we are where... All the other Confederate states hid their slaves uh-huh. so that they wouldn't be taken by the Union soldiers. And then, um, and so that's uh, why one of the reasons why it took so long for them to come down and be like, hey, because we're so far away. Yeah. So, not uh, excusing anything that was horrible. Uh, but I do think that's interesting yeah. that, like, they're like, hide them in Texas. No one's going. There. It was the racist <laughs> mid 19th century equivalent of put it under the bed and see what happens. Like, yeah. they were like, it's so far away. We'll just stash these people we've kidnapped as, as property in Texas. Yeah, or it's so Dul- far. As Dulce Sloan says, it's the equivalent of hiding your weed in your couch when the cops come over. Right. They're going to get there. It's not visible they're, right away. They're going to figure they're it gonna out. They're going to find it. They got, so, they'll got. they sniff it out. Yep. But we're very, I'm also very proud mm-hmm. that uh, that Juneteenth spread to the rest of the country mm-hmm. and that, that um, black people and white people are celebrating mm-hmm. 
the um, end of slavery. Yes, I'm seeing more and more calls for it to be recognized as a holiday, both yes. at the federal level and also at states and different companies. I think that would be great if more companies did it as like a work holiday. I yes. think that'd be awesome. Absolutely. I mean, that's that's one of the many steps that's required. You know, let's so just keep fighting because yeah. I am um, loving loving all the revolutionary stuff that's happening right now just dismantling all the crap it's amazing yes and we'll talk about that later Mm -hmm. um so i chose a movie uh this week without not without some reservations because i didn't want to seem pandering but at the same time i was really aghast that daniel had not seen it yes um this week we are doing Stanley Kramer's Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, which stars Spencer Tracy, Catherine Hepburn, the inimitable Sydney Poitier. Poitier. Literally, I'm staring at Daniel like, tell me who I'm talking about. I literally know who I'm talking about. Um, and featuring Catherine Hepburn's niece. Catherine Houghton? Catherine that Houghton. Okay. That's why they look so much alike. I was wondering. Yeah. Because I didn't know if they were related or not, because I was like, if they're not related, this is the best casting i've ever yeah. seen because it looks so much like her daughter it yeah. could be her daughter yeah no it's her niece okay that's great yeah wow so i thought this would be a great movie because we can talk about what a great movie it is we can talk about stanley kramer and what he's done and Sidney poitier and how he's um, 93 and still just like going strong um, we can talk about how amazing sneakers is. Um, oh yeah, welcome back. This is actually a sneakers podcast now. <laughs> we're done. Stop everything. Stop everything. Welcome back to Sea Tech Astronomy, a sneakers podcast. Too many secrets. That's all we're doing. We really should do a sneakers podcast. I will. Just don't even where we tempt do me. nothing. Don't talk about sneakers. Me. Oh my god, I love that movie. I'll so do a sneakers podcast that just goes through the movie one scene at a time. <laughs> yes. I don't care. It'll be like five hundred episodes, and yeah. I love it. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah, I, I thought it was an important movie. It mm-hmm. was a very, very important movie when it came out. Now when you watch it, a lot of people would be like, yeah, so fucking what? Like, you know, she's marrying a black guy. Well, this was 1967. That was a big so what. But even then, as you'll as I will get into, there were um, there was a lot of pushback with the movie where liberals were like, this doesn't say this doesn't say enough. This doesn't do anything like this is this is just watered down fluff. And I think I would like to I would like to use this film to make the argument that this is this is the problem is that we haven't been, I guess, reactionary enough. Mm -hmm. Um, We haven't. And now black people are like, do this. And we're like, God, can we do that? And they're like, yes, you should have done this forever ago. And Mm -hmm. we're like, oh, okay. Yeah. So maybe this movie should have been a lot more like. Right. Like the the constant tension of of change is, you know, it's always going to feel great for a lot of people. It's always going to feel like too much for some people. And it's always going to feel like not enough for some people, like at every stage. Right. And that's what's what's so fascinating to watch. This is because there's things in this movie that hold up and are relevant today, like conversations you could have today. Yes, yes, yes. From this movie. But there are also some that are very dated approaches, of course, to stereotypes um, that we'll get into in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, just as an example, just as a reminder, I should say, we're going to be speaking about the movie. We're going to be probably quoting from the movie a few times. And we're also going to play clips from it. Obviously, when Tracy and I speak, we will be using the word black. I hope you can hear the capital B in that. When we quote dialogue or play a clip, there might be some outdated language used to describe certain races. Yeah, in um, the movie, they say Negro yeah, and so, colored. So just know that when we say that, when we are quoting the movie, that is us quoting 
uh, the movie as a historical document. That is not us using those terms. Please understand that going in. So I just wanted to say that. Clearly, they know that. I know. I just, but you never know. I just want some people to to be aware. Well, we we know. Mm. We we know they know. Mm. They know us. Yeah, you know us. You know our dog. You know our dog. Yeah. So yeah, I'm going to give you a quick recap, and then we'll ask Daniel uh, the question. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to give you a very brief recap, because we'll get way into it when we talk about it. Catherine Houghton plays Joey Drayton, 23-year-old a young woman who is on vacation in Hawaii. Her parents are bonkers rich, Matt and Christina Drayton, who live in an impossible house in San Francisco. Matt owns a newspaper and Christina owns a gallery, an art gallery. And, um, well, Joey comes home early from Hawaii with Sidney Poitier, a 37-year-old black physician, and announces that she's going to marry him. And the movie is about how they have until that evening to get the blessing of the Draytons and then later as well, the Prentices, who are uh, Dr. Prentice is Sidney Poitier, and they need to get his parents uh, to also give their blessing. And it's very tense and, and very funny in some parts. And that's, I mean, that's the basic plot. There's a lot of conversation. As Daniel said, it plays like a play. It's not a play. It's a movie. It became a play, a very popular play. And actually, they made some changes in the play that I'll talk about later. But that's the basics. So you get a guess who's coming to dinner. It's a black guy. Or as Suzanne Sugarbaker says, and this is not at all appropriate. Did you ever see that movie? What movie? Something about there's some black people coming over for dinner. But it just <laughs> is so Suzanne Sugarbaker. So let me ask you, how have you not seen this yeah, it, incredibly it, important, racially relevant film? I agree. Uh, it is important and, and a landmark for all those things. And what's fascinating is this is one of those movies that I knew about and knew quite a bit about. I think that happens a lot on this podcast. Like, rarely are the movies, like, off the other person's radar entirely. It's that like, would be me, usually. Yeah, they're like, they know about <laughs> it, but they just haven't seen it for one reason or the other. And I, I knew about it, of course, because, you know, studying movies growing up and, and studying movies that came out in the 60s and that really revolutionary period. Of course, it was, it was something I knew about. And I've seen plenty of other quote-unquote message movies or Sidney Poitier movies from the time. I'm familiar with it. I also read a fantastic book a few years ago, one of the best books about movies and culture and history I've ever read, called Pictures at a Revolution by Mark Harris, about the 1967 race for Best Picture. And he uses the five movies that competed that year as a lens to capture how Hollywood was changing and some people were stuck in the old mm-hmm. way and some were stuck in the new because the race that year was a five-way race between guess who's coming to dinner the graduate in the heat of the night dr doolittle and bonnie and clyde holy shit yeah so one of those not like the others um so one of these things is not like the other yeah uh, Sidney poitier in two of those exactly so uh so i knew of it and it's just one of those things that somehow always escaped me and just was never on my to-do list it Never came up in any of the uh, the film courses I took as like an assigned viewing, and obviously I was I was curious about it and I knew about it, but I just never got around to seeing it. And you know, shamefully, I only knew the logline, the very very like bird's eye view of the plot, which is in the late '60s, a young white girl brings home a black man, and her parents have to wrestle with that. But I did not expect the parents to be who they were and for the angle of approach to be what it was. 
So, and we can talk about that as we get more into the movie, but I, uh, it's just one of those things that just shamefully I'd never seen. I knew of, I knew it's, uh, no shame. Good point. Uh, regretfully I'd never seen, I knew of its importance. I knew that it was a milestone. I knew of this movie in a major way and just had never actually seen the thing. And, uh, I'm so glad that, that I caught up with it. It's really good. It has, uh, Hepburn and Tracy. I mean, that's, it's, and actually the really sad tragic thing about this is that spencer tracy died within days of filming his last scene um so this literally was his last film um in fact they could not get insured because the studio was like uh this guy's gonna die because he's old and sick he was very he was he was dying when he shot it and uh, so Hepburn and Tracy agreed to put their salaries in escrow. They were like, listen, we'll, you Whoa. can use, we don't, we've got to get this made. And so they had it made and he died less than two weeks after he was finished. And obviously that just destroyed Catherine Hepburn, who has never seen Long Me She's Dead, but she never saw the film sure. because it was too hard for her. I can't imagine. And she did not go to his funeral out of respect for his family because for those of you who don't know, Catherine Hepburn and Spencer Tracy were madly, madly in love. Like it was the the romance for of decades. Hollywood. But he was married with a family and for some reason did not leave his wife and children but they all, I mean, everybody knew they made nine films together. Mm. I mean, it was just the, they were the couple. Yeah. But yeah, she picked him up and, and took him home every day. Um, they only shot between like nine and noon. Wow. And if there was a scene where he wasn't speaking, but you needed to see him or whatever, they uh-huh. used to stand in. Sure. And he was very, very sick. Yeah. And, and that comes through because. One of the things that I, I like when you see in movies, it's great. They take advantage of the fact that they are movies. And so they kind of play on that pop culture mileage they get. When you see a couple, you know, playing a couple on screen, you get that extra emotional leg up. Oh, yeah. On their relationship. And so they because they bring in all that baggage and backstory that you already have in your head when you see them on screen. So when you see these moments in the movie of them talking about, for instance, you know, how much they care about each other or what they feel for each other. There's no acting happening on screen. I mean, because you're watching, you know, Spencer Tracy give a speech about how much he loves his wife and and, Catherine Hepburn is tearing up watching him. And like she's watching this man she loves in the process of dying. Yep. And he's saying these words and it's just it's really powerful. I read that that was like his um, supposed to be his love letter to her. It's an it's an amazing amazing way to go out for this to be your last performance to be a a role of such love and profundity and so many amazing moments and and great acting and like with the woman you love like it's it's pretty amazing it's amazing capstone Mm -hmm. to a career so Mm -hmm. so yeah like do we want to talk about the movie or what i yeah um i mean do you want to talk about what you thought yeah yeah um i thought it was really 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 good it's a little more than 50 years old now and so one of the things that you have to do is view this as an adult Tracy and I have talked about this before on the podcast, but like you do not get any cred for saying you are cooler or more progressive than an old movie or book or song or painting. Like, of course you are. Like, you don't get to like crap on it just because it's older and does things that you would not do now. It's much more appropriate and understandable to come at it from a point of view of like what was happening at the time. Yeah. And think about, okay, for 1967, what was this saying in terms of how progressive or conservative it was? Um, And it's amazing because this is a movie about 
interracial marriage. And interracial marriage, as one of the characters says, was still at the time illegal in like a third of the country. Yeah, if I may. Yeah. Um, the statistics, the the way that it worked was, and I thought this was very interesting. And I'm gonna I'm just gonna read something real quick from Wikipedia. Interracial marriage at the time of filming, it was still illegal in 17 states, mostly southern. Shocker. Until six months before the film was released. Wow. And Spencer Tracy, Matt Drayton, talks about in the movie, he's like, it's illegal in some states because at the time it was. But roughly two weeks after Tracy filmed his final scene and two days after his death, anti-miscegenation laws were struck down by the Supreme Court in Loving versus Virginia. That is that was some powerful stuff. Which, yeah, it's which is something that is so easy to forget these days that like, for instance, in my parents' lifetime. Interracial marriage was illegal in huge yeah. parts of the country. Yeah. You know, we act like all oh, these things from the past, like it was 50 years ago this happened. I thought what was interesting was that Matt and Christina, the parents, the white parents, are liberal progressives. Because on paper, when I just knew the really, really basic pitch, it's, you know, uh, a young white girl bringing an older black man home and it's the late 60s. You're tempted to think, oh, her parents are going to be more conservative and it's going to be like butting heads, bringing them around, et cetera, et cetera. But it's way more interesting than that because they're liberal progressives who pride themselves on being liberal progressives. And so it's not about do we approve of equality. It's are we willing to put our money where our mouth is and actually stand up for our values when they're tested? Because your values are not your values unless you stick to them when they're tested. Exactly. So it's a movie in large part about these people who have paid lip service to equality and change and progression being forced to say, hey, okay, do you actually believe what you're saying or are you just empty shirts? Do you really believe in progress and change and moving forward? Yeah. And I thought that was much more interesting and much more dynamic than just they were like more you know, conservative or reactionary and they had to be kind of brought around to grudging acceptance. So I thought that was a really fascinating approach. I thought as a movie, as a film, it's really fantastically done. The structure is amazing. It plays out over just several long scenes over the course of an afternoon and an evening. The movie's less than two hours. Huge chunks of it take place in real time. Like the opening sequence has uh, Sidney Poitier and Catherine Houghton landing. Mm-hmm. And they take the taxi right up to the hill. and like it just... First biracial kiss in history. On, on film? film. Yeah. Yep. And so it, it plays out just over them going to the house and meeting up with Catherine Hepburn, the mom. And so like... It really plays out and lets these scenes build and ebb and flow and the emotions go back and forth and it is so well constructed. And then they tighten up the tension by saying, hey, we're only in town for one day because we're leaving tonight because uh, Dr. Prentice has uh, he's got a flight to New York and he's got a, a work gig in Geneva that he's flying to the day after that. So they're there for a day. And they want to get this done. They have announced this news. And then secretly, when Joanna leaves the room, Prentice says to the parents, by the way, it would destroy her relationship with you if you don't approve of this. So I can't have that on my conscience or on my list of things to do. So we want your blessing. And if you don't give us the blessing, I can't go through with the wedding. So all these stakes are ratcheted up right from the beginning. And you have this tension of it's got to happen now. Which is not only amazing and tense from like a movie making perspective, like you're hooked right away and there's like a ticking time bomb, but also it's an amazing reflection of what was happening at the time with revolution and what still happens, which is like, we got to change now. Change is coming. You got to change. And Spencer Tracy is like, give me a day to think about it. And they're like, you don't have a day. You have to, you have to change now. Mm-hmm. Your option is change or 
you're gone. Those are your options. You don't get time to think about it. You have to put your money where your mouth is right now. And I know you weren't expecting it. And that's the thing. Mm-hmm. Like, you've got to jump on. So it's amazingly reflective of what it's actually like to be put in these situations. Trouble is, this thing has come up at a time when I already have all the problems I need. And I feel that I couldn't afford to get married if it meant that I would have to take on any special problems in addition to those we're obviously going to have. When you say special problems, Doctor, what do you mean? Well... Your attitude, Mr. Drayton. And yours, Mrs. Drayton. Joanna is very close to both of you. If by marrying me she damaged her relationship with either of you, the pain of it would be too much for her. I wouldn't know how to deal with that kind of situation. In any case, I wouldn't even want to try. Well, I'm glad you told us this, Doctor. Don't misunderstand me. I love your daughter. There is nothing I wouldn't do to try to keep her as happy as she was the day I met her. But it seems to me, without your approval, we will make no sense at all. That is why I'm asking for the clearest possible statement of what your attitude is going to be. I thought the acting was fantastic. Again, Spencer Tracy does an amazing job, uh, and so does Catherine Hepburn. The one reason that I asked Tracy if it was based on a play was because it is so play-like, not only in its basically one location and really long scenes, but everybody gets an awesome monologue. Like, you could carve this up and just give it to theater students. Like, there are monologues wall to wall, and they're great. And they're not just, like, empty speechifying. They're actually working through their problems and fears. And everyone's viewpoint makes total sense. Yep. When Sidney Poitier's dad is is railing on him saying, You know, for a man who all his life never put a wrong foot anywhere, you're way out of line, boy. That's me to decide, man. So just shut up and let me... You don't say that to me. You haven't got the right to ever say a thing like that to me, not after what I've been to you. You know that and I know that. Yeah, I know what you are and what you made of yourself. But you know I worked my ass off to get the money to buy you all the chances you had. You know how far I carried that bag in 30 years? 75,000 miles and mowing lawns in the dark. So you wouldn't have to be stoking furnaces and could bear it out on the books. And you're like, oh, man, I, I feel what you're saying. I feel for you. And then when Poitier wheels back on him and says, you listen to me. You say you don't want to tell me how to live my life. So what do you think you've been doing? You tell me what rights I've got or haven't got and what I owe to you for what you've done for me. Let me tell you something. I owe you Nothing. If you carried that bag a million miles, you did what you were supposed to do. Because you brought me into this world. And from that day, you owed me everything you could ever do for me, like I will owe my son if I ever have another. But you don't own me. You can't tell me when or where I'm out of line or try to get me to live my life according to your rules. You don't even know what I am, Dad. You don't know who I am. You don't know how I feel, what I think. And if I try to explain it the rest of your life, you will never understand. You are 30 years older than I am. You and your whole lousy generation believes the way it was for you is the way it's got to be. And not until your whole generation has lain down and died will the dead weight of you be off our backs. 
You understand? You've got to get off my back. That scene blows me away. Oh, and he hits him back just as hard. Like, And you're like, oh, my God, I get that point, too. Like, yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. Or a lot of times what happens, especially later in the movie, when uh, Poitier's parents come over, is people pair off and have little one-on-one conversations in different combinations. And at one point, uh, Spencer Tracy's talking to Poitier's mom, and he's expressing fear and regret. And she says, What happens to men when they grow old? Why do they forget everything? I believe those two young people need each other like they need the air to breathe in. Anybody can see that by just looking at them. But you and my husband are, you might as well be blind men. You can only see that they have a problem. But do you really know what's happened to them? How they feel about each other? And it just like rocks him back. And it's such an amazing point of view and perspective. And like, that's the thing. There's nobody's point of view or perspective that is presented as the wrong one or the bad guy. The only clear bigot in it is a coworker of Catherine Hepburn's who shows up, is worried about her daughter marrying a black man. Catherine Hepburn fires her immediately and is like, bye. Cut yourself a check and get out of my office. Like, you're gone forever. So, like, the parents are all worried about what their kids are going to well, go through. Well, and Tilly. And Tilly, yeah. Um, Tilly, the, the housekeeper. Um, the parents are worried about what their kids are going to go through. The kids are worried about it, too. They're worried about getting their parents' love and support and approval. Everyone is concerned for everyone else. And that's what makes really good drama. No one's trying to harm anybody else. They're acting out of what they think are the person's best interests, and they're just coming at it from different ways. Yeah, the only thing about it, Tilly's not uh, yeah. racist. Tilly's just worried about her baby. Yeah, the conflict is is amazing. Um, yeah. Because, you know, they'll say, do you, get, do you kids not know what you're in for, especially when you have kids? And they're like, do you think we haven't thought about that? You know, we're, we're thinking about that all the time, but we're not going to let that stop us because of what we feel. So as a movie, it's, it's amazingly well done. And again, there are some aspects that culturally – uh, you know, we wouldn't play play well today in today's climate or approach to race relations, nor would you even make about it, nor would you even say in a movie about equality. Uh, one scene that pops out to me is when Poitier is telling off his dad at the end, and he says, Dad. Dad. You're my father. I'm your son. I love you. I always have, and I always will. But you think of yourself as a colored man. I think of myself as a man. Whereas now, you would not get that. He would say, no, I am a black man. I am, you know. I've taken all my stuff. You're I'm sorry, all I'm my sorry, life. but hopefully in a good way. Hopefully in a good way. Sorry, I mean, but no. I no, just, it's great. It's just... Yeah. <laughs> It's such a good movie. We can go. We go. We will have so much to talk about. Anyway, I just want to say, like, um, I I wrongfully was viewing this movie as like a historical document. Like, I knew why it was quote unquote important, but I'd never seen it. But I was not prepared for like the level of power and relevance and the way this thing hits and the way it's such a powerfully told story. Like, it's currently streaming on Prime. I think for the rest of June. Uh, after that, rent it. It's really good. So I was blown away by this movie. It was fantastic. Good. Thank you so much for showing it to me. Good. I'm really glad Great you felt movie. that way. A Great lot of movie. people did not feel that way um, mm-hmm. about it. Um, and not in a racist way. Well, a lot of people felt like it was pandering to liberal, white liberals. Like, 
um, well, we can get into that. Sure. But um, I guess I'll tell you about it. Um, man, you just you just knocked on all my shit. Not that's good. I call that a setup. I set it up and you spike it. Perfect. No, no, no. no. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. You're on my list. I'm all. See, look what I highlighted. There's, there's no list, by the way. She says I'm on her list. The list is just a my name on a piece of paper, laminated in her pocket. It says this fucking guy. That's the list. It does say this fucking this guy. This fucking guy. Um, okay, no. here's uh, something that I thought was interesting. So this is 1967. We are coming coming off of the um, march marches in um, Selma and um, Montgomery mm-hmm. and um, the Equal Rights Act. Oh, 1964. Yeah, I think the Voting Rights Act was 64. Voting Rights Act. Yeah, I'm sorry, not Act, the Equal yeah. Rights Act. The Voting Rights. Civil Rights uh, Act was 64. 64. Everything is very fresh. Everything is very, like, you know, this is not like, oh, it's been decades and blah, blah, blah. It's a black man. No, it's like, what? This is interesting. This is from Wikipedia. The original version of the film that played in 1968 contained a moment in which Tilly, Tilly is the um, black maid who has been with the family for 22 years, raised Joanna. She is very against the marriage. She says that uh, Sidney Poitier, that that uh, John is trying to get above himself and uh, and try to, she's going to, he's going to hurt her baby. And she, I mean, she gets up and she's the only person and rightfully so that can use it. The only person that uses the N word in the movie uh, and she gets up in his business and she is played wonderfully by Isabel Sanford, um, who you might remember from the Jeffersons. Um, huh. Yeah. Crazy. They made her hair look. Yes. Her hair was not actually N- no, gray. Her, actually, her a hair... lot of people's hair that was gray in that movie, their hair was not really gray. I think all of them. Not done well. No, all of them. Well, except for Spencer Tracy. Well, yeah, Spencer, that looks like his real, real hair. Yes. But uh, Tilly and then uh, Poitiers' parents, that is clearly artificially gray hair. Yes. Those are younger people. So the original version of the film that played in theaters in 1968 contained a moment in which Matt Drayton responds to Christina's question, guess who's coming to dinner, with the sarcastic one-liner, the Reverend Martin Luther King. (gasps) Well, he hadn't been assassinated yet. Oh, no, yeah. So after King's assassination on April 4th, 1968, this line was removed from the film. So by August 1968, almost all theater showings of this film had this line omitted as early as 1969 the line was restored to many but not all prints but now it's back in you remember you heard him say it yeah he's like reverend martin luther king and she's like haha no you know john's parents yeah um but you know oh my god yeah because this came out in 67 you can't can't months before king was murdered oh my god right everything was happening very fast and on top of on top of each other yes so I thought that was, uh, yikes. Sidney Poitier, I, let's just take a moment here, because we all know Catherine Hepburn, Spencer Tracy, yep. we all know. But Sidney Poitier, I just feel like, I feel like the man is... This is now a Sidney Poitier podcast. Oh, I'm God. sorry, we're done. The Sneakers podcast is also going to happen, but this is the Sidney Poitier cast? Yes, Poitier. Poitier. The podcast? The podcast? The podcast. You go sit in the other room. Poitier podcast. No, you go sit in the other room. That's terrible. And he is, that man is 93. He does not deserve that. What if we get him on the show? Oh, that would be amazing. 
I fucking love Sidney Poitier. He's amazing. He is actually the first uh, the first black man uh, and Afro-Bahamian actor to win Best Actor. He's not the first black person, um, but the first black man. Um, and uh, was nominated for a second time um, in The Defiant, for The Defiant Ones with Tony Curtis. Uh, he was nominated six times for the Golden Globe for Best Actor, four times under Motion Picture Drama. I mean, he was nominated for everything. He won Baptist. From 1997 to 2007, he was the Bahamanian ambassador to Japan. Because huh. why not? I don't know. He broke all kinds of ground. Um, and and mainly in 1967, um, each dealing with issues of race and race relations in To Sir With Love, which Daniel has not seen, and I will show him. Yes, but I do know the song. To Sir With Love. If you wanted the sky, I would ride across the sky in letters that would soar a thousand feet high. To Sir. I'm hoping you'll recover my voice with Lulu's voice. We'll see what happens. Okay. Guess who's coming to dinner and In the Heat of the Night, which is another one you haven't seen, right? I've seen In the Heat of the Night. Oh, okay. It's amazing. Uh, making him the top box office star of that year. Damn straight. Um, he won an Academy Honorary Award in 2002, which is one of those, sorry, we haven't been giving you Academy Awards all along. That's yeah. what I feel like those are. It's like yeah. you should have had like 30 of these, but you didn't. Um, he was knighted by Queen Elizabeth II in 1974. So he is Sir Sidney Poitier, which he toots deserves. He worked, I read somewhere that he worked really hard to get rid of his Bahamanian accent. And I think you huh. can, uh, he speaks very deliberately. And um, I think he does a, an excellent job of of being, of, you know, playing American. Yeah. He's just, he's just sublime. He's great. Now, let's talk about the problems. Let's talk about the problems of the movie. Let's do it. Well, one of the things is uh, that Kramer, Stanley Kramer, who I need to talk about because he's amazing, and Catherine Houghton, Houghton received death threats after the film's release because of the kiss. Cool, fun, awesome. Which, go fuck yourself. All right, Stanley Earl Kramer. This is also from the wikipedia a lot of you will know him already if you're a film buff he was an american film director and producer responsible for making many of hollywood's most famous quote message films among the subjects covered in his films were racism in the defiant ones and guess who's coming to dinner nuclear war and on the beach greed in it's a mad 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 world my dad's favorite movie mm -hmm. creationism versus evolution and inherit the wind that's an amazing movie mm -hmm. oh my he did Judgment in Nuremberg, which is yeah. insane. Um, yeah, High these are like Noon. capital I important kind of, you know, movies of the mid-century. Exactly. Um, High Noon, The Cane Mutiny, Ship of Fools. Um, basically, he's recognized as one of the, well, one of the greatest filmmakers of all time. Hugely Director Steven Spielberg described him as an incredible, incredibly talented visionary and one of our great filmmakers, not just for the art and passion he put on screen, but for the impact he made on the conscience of the world. Yeah. This was definitely one of those guys. And so, like, the filmmakers that we see now 
who are doing stuff, you know, were inspired by guys of this generation. Yeah. Do you know what this movie inspired? And it, like they talk about it in multiple articles. It's one of the inspirations for Get Out. You know, I thought about that a lot while I was watching it because mm-hmm. the Get Out parallels are really strong. Mm-hmm. Um, and rem- you actually didn't see Get Out. No, because that fucking trailer too scary. scares the shit out of me. It's a good movie. It's, All right. Well, I may we see might it. check it out. Like I really liked it. Okay. Well, that could be um, my guess. He's coming to dinner. That could be interesting because it's good. But yeah, I thought a lot about Get Out during this. The parallels are really strong. That's so. they talk about mm-hmm. it a lot. Cool. Glad to know I'm not way off base. No, you're not. Um, he earned 16 Academy Awards and 80 nominations. He was nominated nine times as either producer or director. Received the um, Irving G. Thalberg Memorial Award. I mean, he's just like the tits. Everybody loved him. Um, Some people, though, thought that he was, that his stuff was uneven. And I mean, I don't know. There's always going to be critics. I mean, there's tons of critics of Steven Spielberg, and he's fantastic. Uh, I have an article from the LA Times. They wrote a bunch on the 50th 50th anniversary, which was in 2017. Mm -hmm. And that, of course, was before... The before times, as we call them. So there's not... Yeah, that was inauguration year for... It's weird to read this stuff now, because I'm like, y'all don't know shit. You don't know what's going to happen. There's this uh, piece, well, by a guy, Jeffrey Fleischman, the foreign editor, on February 2nd, 2017. Kramer's widow said the message Stanley wanted was that it was inhumane that people weren't allowed to get married. He didn't think one film was going to change anyone's mind completely, but it could get them to think about it. She added that while making the movie, we were right on the crest of change. Sort of. Yeah, that's the thing. Yes and no. Like, it's like, yes, the laws changed, but like, you know. There were changes, but it's like, it's like everyone's saying it's the truth of it is this didn't change the systemic racism yeah. like it's like changing a band-aid on a mm-hmm. wound yeah and you have to unfortunately get into the wound and clean mm-hmm. it out and that's what's happening now mm-hmm. is the either the hacking off of the limb i don't even know i mean it's gonna yeah. require an amputation mm-hmm. or what um this also was the same year that the white daughter of the u.s secretary of state dean rusk married a black stanford university student and the response was that dean rusk offered to resign what cool awesome great wonderful i fantastic what okay i mean yeah that's messed that's, up that's not that's not right um I've got another piece from Chris Jones, the Chicago Tribune. What's up, Chicago? How you doing? Now, this I thought was very interesting. Catherine Houghton in the movie is just, as she puts it, she's kind of a Pollyanna. She's like, and yeah. I love him, and I'm just so happy, and I'm going to wear Wildly three hats so. at the same time, and yeah. hooray! And like, you're like, girl. Like, she's not just like, recognize. I love him, I love him, and we're going to be together because we want to be together, but she's like, what do you mean? Why would there be a problem? And I'm like, hey, like, I'm not saying that you shouldn't marry him, but like, you know, you know what people are going to say in 1967, right? Like, she does. And the problem is this, that was not Stanley Kramer's vision. Stanley Kramer wanted a doe-eyed, wide-eyed, sure. innocent lamb. Uh-huh. She was like, I sound like a fucking idiot. She did a lot. And he was like, no, you don't know what people want. And she's like, "I what? Well, that's the thing. Like, again, that's where you get that generational conflict. Like, dude, 
you're doing a lot of good stuff. You've got a lot of good ideas in terms of how you want the story to be and the impact you want it to have. But if you aren't actually tuned in to what this younger, more forward-thinking person is pushing you toward, you could be missing a real opportunity for nuance and change. Because I think you're totally right. This person or your word, whoever, whoever described as a Pollyanna, totally accurate. She described herself like, as a Pollyanna. Yeah, she's, again, like, it's the most realistic moments for her are when she talks about her love for Sidney Poitier and, like, her, her desire for him and the way she felt swept up by him and their desire to be with each other. Yeah. But when she kind of gallivants about, like, just flouncing about, like, it's going to be fine. I'm like, I would have loved if she'd been more grounded about what was happening. She wanted to. Um, Houghton realized that her character, despite being constantly described by others as the future of America, had been given virtually nothing to say of a political nature. Yeah. Actually, nothing of any substantial nature at all. Yeah, she's just like, I love him. That's it. But the film's writer, Billy Rose, had in fact written a scene where a politicized Joanna laid it all out for her father. Kramer shot the scene mostly to appease Houghton, but he told her that she didn't understand the American public. Pat her on the head. Yeah. Little girl, you you don't know what you're talking about. You dumb broad. Get back in there. You should put your little little three hats back on and pretend you're excited. Bring me a cupcake, caddy. The... The scene never made it into the movie. Shit. Gasp. Although if you go to the new dramatic adaptation at court, which apparently is a place in Chicago, you will see a much less vapid Joanna than the one Houghton was forced to play. So the stage play version you told me that they made, when they made the stage play, they beefed up her role and made her more grounded. Yeah. Which is cool because it would be like if you made a a movie or told a story set in those days about you know, white students who volunteered with like SNCC or Freedom Riders or down in the South and were just gallivanting about like, we're going to change. Everything's going to be fine. No one's going to have a problem with us registering these black people to vote. Like they would have to go in understanding the gravity of their situation for there to be more characterization and drama. Yeah. So, yeah, I completely agree. She is in in the final film version. I haven't seen the stage play, but in the film version, she is the weakest link by far. Yeah, not by choice. Right, and it's um, a shame. Not man. by choice at all. Uh, Houghton told King that the director had said he preferred Joanna to be some vague symbol of youth and loveliness and so on. Which is so dumb because everybody else, while acting obviously and on a metaphorical level, gets to be a character. You yeah, know? he says, if the rationale for revolt was articulated, he argued, then all of that would have been threatened, which was not what either Kramer or the what studio wanted. Yeah, see, and that's what's important to, to remember, too, is like Kramer might have morals here and the actors have morals, but a movie is a piece of property made by a business to make money. So they are going to make this movie, even in the 60s when the film revolution is happening, um, they're going to make this movie to the degree that they can sell it to audiences. Yeah, and Mark Kennedy for AP News um, back in 2017 uh houghton interviewed he interviewed uh catherine houghton she's been very outspoken then again i think she's the only one who's really talking about it but she was very outspoken about it columbia pictures when they found out what the film was about they didn't want to do it and they did everything they could to stop filming they kept saying nobody's ever going to come see this film we're going to lose millions of dollars on the film the studio was wrong the movie Mm -hmm. made more money for columbia than any film before it the budget for the film was $4 million, which I can't believe how much they did for $4 million. And the box office was 56.7. That's insane. Million dollars. That's an insane return on investment. And $56 so, million 50 years ago is huge. Come on. Okay. Come on. Let's give the people some credit. 
Um, some movie theaters in the South refused to show it. Of course. In fact, B. Richards, who um, was nominated for an Oscar as uh, uh, Sidney Poitier's mother, she could not see it in her hometown in Mississippi. Awesome. Which, you know, <laughs> the South, such garbage. Yep. Uh, Mississippi, you suck. And yeah, by the way, um, I've been to Mississippi. It's a shithole. I have too, and it is a shithole, yes. The film served as, this is again, Mark Kennedy, AP, uh, served as a challenge to liberals, a sort of modern day fable made palatable with comedy. Most parents would be supportive of their daughter's involvement with Poitiers' character, a handsome, charming, well-educated doctor on his way to work with the World Health Organization, who, like, leaves money for when he makes a call to his parents. The argument is they made Poitiers so perfect sure. that the only thing that anybody would have a problem with, literally the only thing, would be his race. He was even 37 to her 23, and everyone's like, oh, that's great, because, yeah. you know, young women, that's wonderful. Um, it was literally the only thing. And so people, critics, even back then, were like, that's unrealistic. And I get that, because he is very, very perfect. But he, he is very perfect. Here's, so I see what they're saying, because obviously a more nuanced story would have a, a more complicated or potentially flawed suitor that you'd see come home with, with the girl. But... The advantage to making him this, like, world-traveling doctor is it gives the parents nothing else to hide behind. Yes. Because if he were, like, a flawed guy or, like, had a just, like, a normal person, they'd be like, it's not because he's black. It's because such and such. He works at the such and such place or he's got this problem or we don't know him. We're like, it's not because he's black, honey. It's just because we don't want to do yada, yada, yada. Yep. But by forcing him to be great in all these other ways, a doctor, accomplished, very important, it gives the parents. Oh, yeah. They hadn't had sex because yeah, he they, refused to. Yeah. He hadn't even gone to bed with her, which, like, the daughter volunteered to mom. Like, yeah. By giving them nothing to hide behind, it forced the race issue. So, yeah, nowadays, you wouldn't make his character that perfect. You'd give him more complications and force the parents to grapple with more nuances in the story. But 50 years ago, they were like, listen, if we're going to hit folks over the head with this, we've got to give them no place to hide. The only reason they could say no is because they don't like his race. Yes. So that's why they made it like that. Yes. David Schwartz, chief curator at, at the uh, Museum of the Moving Image in New York City, which I'm amazed you've never made me go to, um, says, any criticism of the film was really for the left, for it not being daring enough. A lot of times with Hollywood, the movies are reflecting changes that are happening anyway. This film just captured a change that was starting to take place. And it was trying to take place. Monica White, I'm going to mispronounce his last name, and I feel shitty about it, Nadunu. No, I think I got it right. Nadunu. Monica White Nadunu, a professor at Tufts and author of Shaping the Future of African-American Film, said, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner could have done a better job of forcing liberal audiences to confront their prejudices and of reaching out to black audiences, but she respects the attempt. If anything, she says, we can take what we've learned from this film, whether it's the failure or accomplishment of it, and we can continue to work towards telling more stories about the humanity of people and the way they love each other, she said. To me, that's the message. Now, Houghton says, when people, you know, ask, like, do you think this, quote, push the needle of change? She's like, you know, art is a powerful medium, but why do we have Black Lives Matter? Like, yeah, <laughs> clearly, no, it, it, it did not make it so much of a difference. Right. It pushes. We have. Everything's a push. Like, you have to constantly push on all fronts, you know. Right. But yeah. was, I would like to 
this is obviously something that I feel like we should have had a black person on for. I would like to say to them, um, is this the problem? Mm -hmm. Was it that they didn't push enough? Enough. Right. And I think one of the other interesting aspects that I have to remind myself of, too. I mean, who gives a shit what white people think? Is that movies are not made overnight. So when you see a movie come out, especially one about a social issue, it's been in production for a while. From writing to uh, revisions to getting sold, casting, filming, post, everything. Like, this movie, movies don't just happen. So this movie came out in 67. So because of that, like, we think, oh, this is a reflection of 1967. And it is and it isn't because it came out in 67 and is a pop culture artifact from then, but was obviously being worked on in the years before. So you really got to think, like, okay, if I'm seeing a movie now, this was on somebody's mind this way three to five years ago. So Mm. one good thing to think about was, okay, this movie came out in 67. This reflects a lot of people's attitudes in the early 60s, Mm -hmm. 62, 63. And a lot happened between 62 and 67. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, you wouldn't release this movie in 1972. It would feel even more behind the times. Yes. You know, that's why it already felt a little behind to people because they'd already changed a little. Yeah. Like, uh, that's a good point. So, which, again, like, it's not a knock on the people criticizing it. Those are very valid criticisms and part of the conversation. But it's always worth remembering that a book, a movie, a TV show, a game, an album, anything you see that is commenting on society or situation took a while to get to your face. So, With the exception of South Park. With the exception of South Park, which took like seven days. Yeah, so this movie, these ideas were in play for a while. And clearly, you know, I mean, like, they... There was even that big gap of time we talked about between uh, the movie stopping filming and uh, Martin Luther King's murder. So there's a big delay there that they had to, you know, then fix mm-hmm. fix stuff for. So mm-hmm. so all that to say, like, there's always a lag. There's always a catch up. The most progressive movie you see of the moment is still going to be, quote unquote, behind in some mm-hmm. ways. Mm-hmm. So even movies that are far ahead are behind for some people, which is, again, not a knock on their criticisms. Those criticisms are how we have the constant conversation moves still forward. It's just worth remembering this took a while to get made. This mm-hmm. wasn't what somebody thought yesterday. It's what somebody thought five years ago. And at some point they had to lock the script and be like, we got to fucking shoot this thing. Yep. So yep. anyway. No, that's a really, really good point. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that for what it is, it's amazing. I loved the monologues. They're great. The When when Sidney Poitier goes after his dad in a very loving way, but when he goes mm-hmm. after his dad, it's just fucking amazing. Yeah, because his dad lays him out and is like... His dad was a, uh, it was a retired postal worker, yes. a mm-hmm. blue-collar guy who did everything he could to make sure that his son would have everything. Sacrifices, all sorts of stuff, and yeah. lays him out with a speech like, we did all this hard work for you, don't mess it up. And you, you, he sells it so well, and it's such a good speech that you really do see his point. You're like, yeah! But then Poitier, like you said, fires back and is like, you brought me into this world. You did everything you were supposed to do for me. I don't owe you anything. You raised me the way I will raise my own son if I'm lucky enough to have another one. Yeah. Um. So. Yeah. It's... Oh, another one. His uh, wife and yeah. son died in a yeah. train accident. That's Sorry. another thing. Yep. Sorry. Poitier's character uh, is a widower. His wife and son were killed a few yeah. years ago in an accident. But that actually was one of the greatest um, descriptions of parenthood that I've ever heard. And that I want to say to my friends when they're like, oh, my kid. I'm like, hey. You're the one who, well, as Daniel says, you're the one. Who, what are we going to say? Are you going to say it? Yeah. Say you're, it. you're the one who didn't wrap it up. You're the yeah. one who didn't put a condom on. You chose to have a kid. Yeah. 
or kids, and that's great for you. And we're happy that you is it hard? Sure, happy that you have your family. Fucking raise them. You had them, but you had them, so it's your goddamn job. Yeah, man. And if you and if when they grow up, they don't do what you want. Well, that's not you. You gave birth. Now. You don't get to dictate, as he says. Yeah. You don't get to tell me what to do with my life just because you raised me. Of course you fucking raised me. You had me. What were you going right. to do? Just put me in a box and mm-hmm. then be like, and now I'll live my life through you. Yeah. No. There are a lot of aspects of the movie that are about an older generation letting go of the younger and being forced to own up to their their promised convictions. Again, you know, uh, Matt and Christine are like, we raised her. And we raised her to believe everybody's equal. And so we can't just go back on our word. You know, we created her to to be open to love wherever she finds it. And so we would be racist and hypocritical were we to go back on ourselves now. Yeah, which uh, Matt does. Okay, I got to yeah. I gotta tell you my, my favorite line in the whole movie. Sure. Um, so the there's a Monsignor um, uh, Mike. Uh, Mike? Yeah, Monsignor Mike. He's their buddy. He's their, like, he is their best friend. They're not Catholics. He just comes by and gets drunk and hangs out. He's their best friend. He reminds me, well, Matt reminds me of my dad a lot. And um, this, (laughs) a lot. (laughs) Spencer Tracy just in general reminds me of my dad a lot. But, um, yeah, my dad is one of those people that has amazing friends, just uh, men that I'm like, you must be one hell of a person if these men call you like brother and friend and stuff and so seeing monsignor mike i'm like yeah i know we got those guys coming and going out of our house all the time they're just like i'm gonna give your dad a hard time and then we'll go out and hang out and whatever um so mike says to him he's giving him this uh giving matt this speech where he's like you know you can't say that you're liberal and then turn around and say that you're not okay with your daughter marrying a black guy like you can't do that and then he says of course i always have believed that in that fighting liberal facade there must be some sort of reactionary bigot trying to get out and i love that line Mm -hmm. because i think it is 100 percent appropriate for what's going on today where people are having to face they're having to walk the walk mm-hmm. they it's it's not enough to be like love and prayers y'all like oh my gosh and i have mm-hmm. a black friend so i'm mm-hmm. woke as fuck right no. i'm here to listen and i stand with you cool shut the fuck up and let's do stuff yeah let's you know? do stuff what are you doing yeah this is this is not a season of learning for you shut up well it is a season of learning but, but like it's also sorry that phrase gets used action. a lot by like sorry that phrase gets used a lot by like oh i haven't heard that one. passive evangelicals who are like i want to take oh. the season to like listen and learn and oh shut the fuck and up. learn i'm like no shut it let's get in there man let's mix it up yeah you now have to we are now white people are being told don't fucking ask me what to do. You know what to do. Fucking Google it. Get in there and get shit done. We're being faced with our white privilege. And that is what um, Matt and Christina are faced with in this movie is they're just gross white privilege. Yeah. If you're white, use that privilege as a wrecking ball and just yeah. knock shit over. Yeah. Let's destroy shit. I came in like a wrecking ball. That. She's holding her fists up. I well, I was. She made a little, a little hero pose. I did. I was going full like a Miley. Wonder Woman kind of thing. I was going full Miley. I came in like a wrecking ball. I never hit so hard in love. All I wanted was to break your walls. All you ever did was wreck me. That to me 
was such a great message for today. Yeah, like get on it. Find your reactionary bigot inside mm-hmm. of you because it's there. Mm-hmm. We're all racist. Get moving. Find them and go, no, you don't get to live this way anymore. We have to we have to right. change. And like Daniel said, another line that I thought was really powerful was when um Sidney Poitier says to his dad, You think of yourself, you see yourself as a colored man. I see myself as a man. Well, now that to me that's the equivalent of saying i'm colorblind and black people yeah. are like oh jesus christ don't say that like yeah, that no wouldn't play you saying you're colorblind is just like saying that you ignore the problem ignore the problem yeah that you're just like everything's fine yeah. i just don't ever we're all equal oh my god you're not colorblind. clearly we're not all equal yeah i mean clearly we've not all treated each other thank equally you. thank yeah, you yeah clearly don't say you're colorblind because it just it buys into the problem you yes, know? and and being colorblind, what are you saying? So you're saying that, that black person's had all the same stuff that you've had and all the same. Where, you know, look at the skeleton. You can't tell which skeleton is. Shut up. Oh, my, oh God. my God. Shut I, up with that bullshit. I've never heard anybody say we that, but I want to punch red. him in the face. I hate you. I hate you so much. Oh, You haven't Karen. seen that one that's... No. Oh, yeah, I know. Karen's love the skeleton thing. That's fucking um, bullshit. No. Well, again, uh, that's one of the reasons I love as a movie, it's so well made and well constructed because it ramps those stakes up from the jump. It says they're in town for like eight hours. Yeah. I'm leaving tonight. We want to get married. We want to get married the next couple of weeks with or without you. And then on top of all of it, he says, if you don't give us the blessing, I got to dump your daughter because it's going to destroy her family. And I, we could live without each other. We could move on, but she will destroy her life and her love for you and you will ruin your family. Yeah. So go. And that all happens in like act one. And so like the stakes are so high and it's like, you got to go now, 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 now. This is happening today. And you know, uh, Prentice's parents are down in LA. And so they fly up to San Francisco because it's only like 40 minutes away. So they can fly up for dinner and be there. So it's all happening and snowballing. And that sense of go, go, go nonstop. What's your answer? What's your answer is so prevalent in the movie. And it's so great because it really amps up the tension and forces these people to honor the courage of their convictions and not just like drag out. Like he's Mm -hmm. not like in town for a while. Like, and like we get to know him and there's this and that and there's back and forth. It's like, no, you meet him today. He's leaving tonight. Are you in or out? Yep. And it is shut up or, or, or you know, play. Like, go. Just do it. Get on it. And it really, really sells the urgency of the need for broader change. Yes. So I yeah. like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Good movie. Good movie. Good movie. Glad I saw it. I'm really glad you saw it, too. Mm-hmm. And um, as Catherine Houghton says, it is a movie for white people. Mm-hmm. Um Yes. I mean, this whole problem is for white people, so... <laughs> yeah, it's like... Uh, it's, Jesus yeah, Christ. It's not like we should be like, black people, you guys have some work to do. Yeah. It's not like, hey, black people, what are y'all doing for civil rights? They're like, we're trying not to get We're killed by your police. Literally alive yeah. for as long as we can be. Civil rights is a white us. person's problem because they created the systems of oppression and destruction exactly. and slavery. So let's destroy them with fire from the inside. Yes. So fire. Burn it down. Burn tear down it, a statue. Burn it down. Oh, tear them all down. Tear down statues. Cut heads off statues. Destroy shit. Yeah. Burn it, burn it to the ground. I'm all for it. When's the last time you saw a statue, you're like, I'm glad that statue's there. Probably never. Mm. I've seen one, and you know what it was? I was in uh, Minneapolis, saw a statue of Mary Tyler Moore, thought it was great. <gasps> We're going to make it after all. Bum, 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 bum. I'll tell you what statue I hate um, is the one in Sugarland with the two girls taking a selfie. It's a... S- it's two girls taking a selfie. But it's, it's a, a statue in the middle of their town square. 
That's terrible. White privilege. Sugarland is a yeah. fucking white, weird city. Yeah, it's very strange. Fuck. It's like, uh, it's the Stepford of Southwest Houston. It it's is very weird. Stepford. It is very Stepford. I mean, it's called Sugarland. What else do you need? Um, so, It says yeah. it in the name. White Land. It's right there. <laughs> and yet has a very large Indian and Pakistani um, population. It's true. It's still a white-ass place. It is a white-ass place. No, I'll agree with you there. Uh, but we love our listeners from Sugarland. Yep. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. Sorry that we just called Please you Please like whitey. and subscribe. <laughs> Sorry we called you Whitey. Anyway. You're probably white. Um, if you're not, awesome. Hi. To send us a letter. Not seeing this pod at gmail.com. We do love letters. We only get a couple. Yeah. We only get a couple. Some but are we from love... my parents and it's the wrong email. They don't know. They're but trying to email me. we love the ones that we get. They make us so, 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 so happy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's the movie. I'm so fucking glad you liked it. I'm glad that we were really, able to really talk cool about to it, it based on today. Yeah. We have a lot of work to do. We have our reactionary bigots to dig out. Um, please do not think that Daniel and I are patting ourselves on the back Fuck for no. anything. Because Ugh. shit, we sure as hell are not. Um, are you kidding me? Like, I'm a straight white male raised in a Christian home. Yeah, shut I up. Had you are every, literally the top of the pyramid. I had every door open for me. Nothing stood in my way. Nothing about my situation ever blocked my options. Yeah. I had everything that I could have wanted handed to me. Like, yeah, I had all insane. that, but I have a vagina, which makes me less Yeah, than... Yeah, you have a vagina, so here's 79 cents. Less for my than. dollar. I have a vagina and I'm not skinny, so I'm mm-hmm. pretty much worthless. You go sit in the corner. Yeah, I will. Um, my yeah, I I know some people that definitely are high, high even higher on the pyramid than you. Yeah, plenty. Um, but I'm just saying, like, yeah, I am well aware of my privileged <laughs> status and past and present. Yes, please, we are not we congratulating so, ourselves. We here. have so much work to do, and we want to be a part of it. Uh, I encourage everyone here to um, support black people in every way that you can um, buy black, uh, support black bookstores, black films, um, black podcasts. Uh, let's just it's uh, we've got to we've got to it's not enough to say we're equal. It's time to do the work of anti-racism and dismantling the system. Yes. And whatever your defund role in that. Defund the police. Defund the police, man. That we don't... Mother fucking murderers. Yep. Hi. Subscribe. Hi. Please like and subscribe. This is who we are. If you made it this far, congratulations. Leave a comment. Are you trapped somewhere? Um, so we didn't really have hell yeahs, except no, that uh, we would like... like to say that we're super happy that everyone's tearing down all the Confederate statues. Yeah, rip that shit up. Um, there's a great meme going around um, that shows a painting of the revolutionaries tearing down a statue of George, King George, way back when, mm-hmm. in 76. And it's like, and then no one knew our history. Mm-hmm. Like, fuck you. First of all... It was four years you lost. Mm-hmm. No one needs to remember that you just need to be mm-hmm. in the history books. America yeah. went through a civil war and and yeah. they lost. And these are the people that the led Confederacy the doesn't exist. It hasn't existed for 150 years. Yeah. I owned Big Bad Voodoo Daddy CDs in the 90s for longer than the Confederacy was around. Indeed. Do you know what that is to admit that to you people? And and that was less shameful than the Confederacy. Like, just 
It's it's a fucking joke. Yeah. It's a joke. So tear them all down, all of them. And as well as that, tear down all of the Columbus statues, because that's a load of shit. Fuck it. Fuck it. Uh, I love that all around the world people are tearing down. There's a Captain Cook um, yeah. statue that's coming down in Australia right down. now. You, you People, I've seen it phrased this way a lot online, like, you know you worship what you build statues of like these yeah. are your testaments and so like yeah i don't want to fucking honor these dudes fucking tear it down it's not written that they have to have a statue forever fuck them i saw a, a cartoon or a painting or something um and it was like reminding christians uh of moses mm-hmm. tearing down the golden calf statue mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's like hey That's a good one. hey yep. we're not supposed to be worshiping these well, people all these bullshit confederate statues were just started like century like a century later by like the daughters of the confederacy those oh, dumb Jesus. white southern asshole bitches so like fuck them fuck that organization fuck the lost cause fuck the confederacy and all those statues tear it down vandalism is legal for that just destroy them yep saws paint blowtorch get creative dynamite be safe but do your thing yeah destroy it i will say i love love people um black people taking pictures um in front of that uh Robert E. Lee statue in Richmond, like, Washington. Totally that's been destroyed, totally decimated. destroyed yeah. uh-huh. in um, confetti, confetti, graffiti, <laughs> graffiti. Probably confetti. They should throw some confetti. Right. Um, hey, Robert E. Lee, you suck. Get some silly string. <laughs> silly string is great because it's actually super kind of toxic and hard to get out. But I love that people are like, "Hey, we're going to take a picture, and mm-hmm. it's going to say, and you're, it's going to be you, and it's going to have like fuck, you know, the police behind you." Yeah. Oh God, I love it. That's I great. love it so much. Um, so yeah, that's that's our hell yeah. Our is, hell yeah is just get out there and dismantle something this let's week. Let's just destroy, you know? destroy it, tear it down, mm-hmm. and um, and if you need help uh, talking about it with your parents, uh, there are things online I can't help you because yeah, I don't have kids my what i said talking about it with your parents yeah so i don't know how to i don't don't know i don't know my parents i don't know yeah good luck uh but uh, but um fight the good fight yep (laughs) so tune in in two weeks yeah sorry we just discussed a bunch of stuff that we're gonna cut yep um but you didn't hear it because that's the magic of editing editing. (laughs) um i did Yeah. yeah Uh, we're gonna tune in, in two weeks, and we'll have a have new another, film. Another movie for you. And uh, and God knows what's gonna happen in two weeks. I mean, <sighs> really, at this point, um, I think there's a another meme going around where aliens are like, "Shit, we're up next." Yeah, are you, right. <laughs> are you ready? I believe it. Uh, it's fucking crazy. Yeah, and hey, wear a mask, you dipshits. Oh my God. If you're listening to this podcast and you listen to this far, you're probably the kind of person who wears a mask. So good on you. If you see someone without a mask, shame them. Yell at them. You're welcome to do that. I had to sit in a Jiffy Lube with a man who was not wearing a mask and who was coughing openly. I don't mean coughing into his sleeve, coughing into his hand, which is still gross. Coughing openly. And I swear... It fucking took old white me dude coughing. everything not to be like, are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. A lot of people asked me why I didn't do that. And I was just like, I just couldn't. I, it was too, I wasn't going to get into it with some old guy who was driving a giant. He was a tiny, tiny guy driving a giant truck. Oh, he had little man syndrome. With uh, oh. license plates that said bad axe. That's right. That was bad axe. Yeah. Well, shit. I guess now we gave his info out, so... Teeny tiny penis. He drives a big truck that says bad axe. Yep. Look him up. Good luck to you, Eugene. (laughs) 
Mm. Okay, so we will be seeing you guys in a couple weeks. Please stay safe. Oh, Hercules has made his appearance at the very end. Hey, buddy. And um, we will uh, we'll still be around posting and stuff. Yeah. So send us letters if you've got uh, suggestions for movies or if you've got suggestions for... Um, really anything. You just want to say, hey, we're on all social platforms at Not Seen This Pod. Not Seen This Pod. And we will see you in two weeks. Bye, everybody. Bye. <laughs>